How's everyone doing this morning? Woo, the church of woos, yep. Okay, uh, a few things real quick just before we actually jump into the, the real message, but it's already up. Truly vulnerable, that's, that's an annoying title. Um, two things uh, I want to mention real quick. One, when we called up Deacon Chad for tithe, I was like offended by how little bit of love he got. So can we give a shout for Deacon Chad, please? <laughs> that dude does so much around this church it's ridiculous. So does Deacon Dante, but he didn't do tithe today. So, um, <laughs> and and yeah, it's better to over honor than under honor. I'll tell you that. Well, I mean, unless your honor turns into like idol, I guess then it's bad. But it's not as catchy to say all that. So. And y'all, y'all are suckers for a catchphrase. That was so awesome. Eric Willis is like, it's not a, what did you say? It's not, it's, it's revelation time. But everyone's like, why? Like, they were quiet before and after everything he said. But that moment, it was like, it was just a catchphrase. It's so awesome. I love it. But I am too. It got me. I was like, yeah. What is he talking about though? That was good. What was he saying? Um, <laughs> and thing number two, uh, my family is out of town. Well, like, you guys are my family, and you're not out of town. But my wife and my baby's out of town, and I don't handle that well. Um, and, and so this is open, and I just, you ever been to those churches where only, like, the leaders can sit up front? Never want to be at that kind of church. And so notice we left it empty. And so it just, I don't care who, but fill this up for me because I am not down to preach uh, to an empty front row. It makes me feel sad. Um, y'all are welcome up. Even Dave is welcome up. Uh, <laughs> hey, yo, but for real though, I saw you. Eric, Eric Willis is like, like, oh, he's going to hurt, but you got to keep pushing. And Dave's like, with his back. He's like, oh my God, I know. But you're just worshiping and I love it, man. Like you were literally the object lesson of everything he was saying. Worshiping even though it hurt. And I really appreciate you for that. Uh, you are awesome. Uh, give it up for Dave. We're just going to honor everybody today. Give a round for Brittany. No, I'm just kidding. We can't. We, <laughs> we, we, we can't go that far. Uh, but, I mean, we could. We could, though. Or we could group people. Give a shout for this row. That's it. That's the only row. Uh, because at this point, the joke would get old. Give a shout for Jesus. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait a sec. Be with me. Ready? Ready? Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. And give a shout for Nathaniel! Woo! <laughs> uh, he's never going to come back to this church again. <laughs> we just lost the member, guys. It's over. It's over. <laughs> we love you, brother. I was having everyone give a shout for everyone, and then you came in. I don't want you to feel left out. Uh, did we give a shout for Jesus already? Yeah. We did? Okay. Let's do the whole Godhead. I'm just <laughs> yeah, all nine points of the Godhead. Am I right, Travis? No, 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 no. Bad, bad theology. Um, I, well, I'm excited. I'm <laughs> all right. Um, what were we talking about? Stillness, being, being calm. I don't have that today. I really don't. And here's why. My wife's not here to tell me to calm down. She gives me the look during service. <laughs> no look. There is no look to give. I dressed myself today. Thank you very much. And I only cried a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, right, so we should talk about stillness. Uh, so stillness, the reason why I'm up here right now, uh, we've been going over a series for three weeks now. We're on week four. We took a break for Christmas. Um, and, you know, I, I said last week, I'll say it this week, every church in the nation is having their New Year's service. Ours is in two more weeks because, like, calendars, what are those even about, Right. I mean, did God make a calendar? No, we don't. We're not hold to a calendar. I think it's so awesome. We'll do like New Year's resolutions, which by the way, January 1st is when I broke my New Year's resolution. I felt so bad. No self-control. Pray for me. I need Jesus. And then I went back on it for January 2nd and then January 3rd for God again. And then this morning, January 4th, back on track. Uh, is it January 5th? 
I probably missed another day there. <laughs> I don't know. I've been sick the last two days, and like the last two days are just one day. Uh, so I'm in the past while y'all are in the future. Um, my New Year's resolution is something simple. I just want to tell everyone on their birthday, happy birthday. On Facebook. And then on, I told Elder Andrea happy birthday on the first, in person. She's not in the room. And then... I looked on January 2nd, I realized on January 1st, two other people on my friends list had birthdays, and I was like, well, I miss them. And so that's broken. Uh, <laughs> favoritism. All right, anyway, um, so uh, our New Year's uh, is coming in two weeks, uh, so we're still in 2019. I'm just kidding. Uh, still have those kind of expectations, but just know that God's not held to a timetable. And so even though in 2019 and in 2020, we're like, we got to make New Year's resolutions. God, could've, you could have made it in November, and he would have honored it all the same. Um, the only difference is this year when you break it, you, you won't say, next year I'll try again. You'll say, well, I mean, I'll try next decade. I already messed this decade up, right? Um, even though I think the decade starts in 2021 because there's no AD zero. It's 81, so a decade is 1 to 10. But that's, that doesn't matter. That's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about Jesus, right? Jesus after death, AD. I don't know how to say the Greek or the, the Latin, sure, ADO Dominio. Andy Minio. Um, and, uh, and so after his death, right, uh, 2,020 years after, after the death of Jesus. Um, but way before that, we're going back in time and talking about the Joshua generation, uh, who just like us were in a season of transition. Right? And so we've been talking about stillness. And so we went all the way back in time. A lot of people know the story of Moses in Egypt. And they know the nine plagues, and they know that Moses took the Israelites through the desert. And it took 40 years because they didn't have a map. And they get to the promised land, and a different generation is the one that takes it. And so not only was it a transition between generations, it was also a transition between seasons, a transition between nations, a transition between homelessness to having a home. And I think I actually feel for that in a lot of ways with this church. And I think it's really cool, and I think it's a cool way to start off the year. Um, but we've been talking about stillness, um, which I've been jokingly saying, I think that's like a Christian cuss word, um, or just a modern-day cuss word. Uh, just chill out. Like, at no point in the history of ever has someone telling someone to chill out ever made them chill out. Actually, it makes me, like, kind of lose it a little bit. I'm like, you know, you chill out, right? I am calm. Um, but, but God actually calls this into seasons like that. Um, we know that Jesus would go up on a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and just get alone with God. And so as we've been talking in this series, where first week we talked about our personal intimate relationship with God. Do you get alone and do you talk with God every day? Um, for people, some people find that uncomfortable, um, which is honestly kind of scary because no one wants a relationship where you're uncomfortable talking alone to each other. Um, and that when God calls us, he doesn't call us from out in the world. He calls us into our calling from our personal time with him. Call it the secret place. People call it the prayer closet. People just call it prayer. Whatever. Do you talk with God every day? Um, and that's, that's the single most important thing I could ever teach anyone. And uh, if this church, all of us together, just had a daily, real relationship with God, um, we would get to a place where in First John it says, you are at a place where you should not be taught any longer, but that you should know for the one who gets alone with you and quiet teaches you these things. Um, that is the goal of a Christian, and these sermons can educate us, but really the goal is for us to get to a place where us and God, and I'm studying my Bible, and I'm studying my God, and I'm getting to know him, because if the Bible is true, and God is a personal God, then why would, why would a personal God want your relationship with him to be once a week through the proxy of someone else talking to you about him? for attempting to be 45 minutes, but usually an hour. Yeah, yeah that'll, that'll preach, right? And, and then the second week, well, I forget what we talked about the second week. It wasn't as important. Uh, I'm just kidding. It was. But just the stillness series and this, this, the calm. The calm before the storm as they go from one moment to the next. And, and then we talked about how God began to perform a miracle, and in stillness, he trained their faith. 
right? And so the Joshua generation, they travel, they've seen their parents die, and God is saying, now cross this river. And something to notice for today that's going to be really important, just before they cross the river, the Bible says that all of the cities took note that they were there. And so when the water split, it wasn't just the Israelites that saw the water split. The book of Joshua makes it clear that other people heard and other people saw. Actually, other people had heard about Moses parting the Red Sea. And so when the Joshua generation comes and parts this water in front of their home, they know who's coming. And they've heard this story. And then as they cross in, God teaches them and he will go before them. He will be beside them and he will cover their rear guard. And once God becomes personal... And once we really know who God is, that builds faith in us to trust him. Because if Alpha and Omega, if beginning and end, if the creator of all of heaven and all of earth really is for me, or better put, I'm for him, and he really does take care of what's his, then who could hurt me? Who could form any weapon against me? And that's why Paul writes, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And Paul didn't tell you no weapon form against you would prosper. He didn't say that so that you would go fight knowing that you'll win the fight. He said that so you would know you don't need to fight in the first place. And they cross to the other side. And the first thing God has them do is build a monument. Now, don't forget what God has done. Because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of the testimony. What has God done when he became personal and he built your faith? Don't forget the things he did that built your faith. Don't forget the things he did when he was personal with you. Because when the time comes and it's easy to forget, if you hold firm to the things he's done in the past, it'll give you confidence he'll continue to do it in the future. Because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he did it yesterday, he'll do it today, and he'll do it forever, right? And that's the God that we worship. The the reason why we have such emotional roller coasters in our life usually is because people hook themselves to things that are also on a roller coaster. I hook my happiness to my finances. Y'all don't know about y'all. My finances always be on a roller coaster, right? And so if I hooked my happiness to that, I never would be. Right, And they hook their, their, their hooks to a relationship. But even the healthiest relationships I know have their ups and their downs. And Jesus himself said love is an action, not a feeling. And so if we hooked it to the emotion that is love and we go up and down, we're done. Or better yet, God forgive, forbid, something happens to our significant other and then we're not happy anymore. But God never called us to hook to something that's temporal. Yeah. And so God would say that as we hook to him and the truth of who he is, our emotions, they stop being roller coastery. And people who have roller coaster emotions, I would point you that maybe you're not hooked to your source. Because there's a difference between saying I'm hooked to my source and actually doing it. You know? And that takes us to where we're at now. Right? So the Joshua generation, these group of people, all eyes are on them. As they cross over, and now they're in enemy territory. They're in enemy territory, and God has them do something that if he was logical, according to our logic, he would have had them do before they crossed the rivers. And I want to talk about that today. So if you guys will turn with me to Joshua chapter 5, verse 2 to 9, I'm really excited uh, for this one. Um, I think this is a good word for the year. I think that if we could really hold on to, again, like the title is being truly vulnerable. Another cuss word. Being truly vulnerable. I do want to give a preface real quick out of respect. Um, today we're going to be dealing with circumcision. And although I don't believe, no, not believe, I know for a fact the Bible teaches in the New Testament it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. It, it doesn't. You can have your preference. That's, that's your own preference. Uh, but back in the Old Testament, it was a mark as a sign that they were his. And so in the New Testament, Paul says that we actually get our hearts circumcised. Saying as in, you know, the the whole concept is with your circumcision is that you're marked in a secret place. You're marked in a hidden place. And I think that because we had hearts of stone, God marked our hidden places elsewhere. But once we transition into the kingdom and into God, and the Bible says that we have a heart of stone, as in it can't do right before God. And he replaces it with a heart of flesh or brings us alive in him. Now our hearts are the things that are circumcised because now the hidden place that needs to be cut, that needs to be tender, is your heart. 
right? And I do think, though it's not explicitly what it's teaching, it is still cool to stop and talk on the topic that you are marked by God when you get into your hidden secret places. Getting still and praying with God. Though I don't believe that's what circumcision means, it always reminds me of that, that God marked his people in a hidden place. He didn't mark his people in a way that all of the nations could see. He marked them in a place that was hidden and intimate, and just them and God and their significant others knew. Amen? And that we have the same opportunity to do that when we get alone with God, to let God mark us in that hidden and in that secret place. And if you want to change, if you want to grow, if there are things like, why do I keep going back to that? Well, you're going to get marked or you're going to get set free of that in those hidden places. Amen? But we're going to deal with circumcision. And the reason why I'm giving that warning is because circumcision is when you cut off a piece of a man's manhood. And that is going to come up a few times. And I just don't want to make anyone super uncomfortable, but it's what we're going to talk about. Um, so... At that time, on that good topic, and all the men in the house said, oh. um, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives. Y'all, okay, let me just give a picture. When we say the Joshua generation, right, people picture oftentimes 15 to 20-year-olds. These people were around 40, probably also in their 50s. Think about it. He killed everyone who was alive from the age of 13 and up. And so that means there would have been 53-year-olds and down in this moment, right? Because those 13-year-olds lived 40 years. Um, And so this isn't like young people. This is everybody. Everyone's getting their stuff messed with, and it's going to be a bad day for everybody. And that's where we're at. God's like, do you trust me? Like, yeah, you parted the waters. Like, do you trust me? Yeah, you took us through the memorial, miracles. The people are afraid of us. Do you trust me? Yes. Then then cut off, (laughs) hear me, wait a second. Then cut off the tip, right? Okay, so that's where we're at. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've always wondered, right? Do you ever hear the story of Noah? And after the end, God made a covenant and it was a rainbow. You hear the story of, you hear the story of Abraham? And when, when God made a promise to Abraham, the covenant was circumcision. It's like, but, but God, but Noah got a rainbow. <laughs> like, 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 why did Noah get a rainbow and I got this? This is bull. Yeah, and so the, the Israelites are like, we'll take the rainbow. But they don't get a rainbow. They get Abraham's covenant. It's very exciting. Marked in a hidden place, not marked in the skies. <sighs> oh, to be Noah. Um, yeah. What a beautiful promise. What a terrifying promise. Um, but here we are. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives. Y'all, they flint knives. They're using rock and they're sharpening rocks. Okay. And circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Oh, well, because the first generation was circumcised. And so the second time is the second generation. At that time, the Lord... Oh, we're good. Let's keep moving. So Joshua made flint knives. He made rock knives. I don't want to get stabbed by a rock knife. I don't want to step on a rock knife. Uh, so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at... You know what, bro? Like, who even cares? Let's keep going. Um, At that place. And this was the reason why Joshua circumcised them. There's a reason. Um, All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. So basically, the reason why these old men were experiencing pain now was because their fathers didn't do what was required. This should have been done when they were around eight days old. But it's done now because an entire generation forgot about God. And sometimes when you have to realign something, it hurts. And the reason it hurts is because of our past decisions that now have to get recoursed to get us here. The first step with God is always uncomfortable, but it's always some of the most important steps you could ever have with God. Now, I am not saying that this is your step, though. Thank God. With Jesus, he made everything spiritual. So... Yeah. Uh, and all the men said, 
Amen. Uh, then all the people came out and had been circumcised. And all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Y'all, I don't even believe in general curses. And that's like a generational curse. But that's like, that's like as real as it gets. Um, For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war, had come out of Egypt, perished, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us a land flowing with milk and honey. He's repeating himself a lot. Honestly, he's probably writing extra, just like, okay, because when I'm done writing, I have to cut my... It's just like, I'm just going to repeat this, and it's like... um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised I hope I hope that it wasn't just Joshua because that would be a bad day all right bro let's go I'm going to your neighbor's house knock knock like everyone's gonna hate Joshua today uh for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way again he's just When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. I, it's, it's nap time for like a week or two or ten or just never wake up. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. If you ever want to have fun, study Gilgal. There's a lot. That place be crazy. <laughs> but that's the place where God marked Israel in the promised land. Dear Lord in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to talk very briefly in your name, uh, very briefly on the topic of just being vulnerable, God, vulnerable before you, being open, being honest, God, not having to hide who we are or how we feel, God, but to actually learn and be tender before you, God. I pray for everyone in this room, and in Jesus' name I say, amen. Um, when I was growing up, <laughs> uh, when I was growing up, I had a dachshund, or a wiener dog. Now, I'm not saying, like, I didn't think of the wiener dog because of the circumcision. It's just the story fit. Um, I had a dachshund when I was growing up. Yeah, that was an actual Yeah, okay. So uh, her name was Shelby, and she was the most beautiful dog of that breed I've ever seen. Uh, She was black. Her coat was super shiny, and uh, she had, like, a little brown brown belly, and she had, like, a little white patch right here, and, like, the bottom of her, her, right, fun for the podcast. I love the podcast. um, Sorry, guys. If you're listening, that was Christina's fault. Um, Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, so and then the top of her nose was black and the bottom was was brown. She was beautiful. Why did I tell you all that? It has nothing to do with the story. I just loved that dog. And uh, she had a problem, though. And it's funny because I was younger and I had the same problem with her. And the the problem was we went to the bathroom everywhere except where we were supposed to. Yes. Very exciting. I had skid marks. I was like 10. It's awesome. Don't tell anyone, though. Um, <laughs> what would happen is just like the dog, I'd get excited, and I'd be running around doing things, and I wouldn't want to stop the playtime. And so I would just hold as long as I could, and that was just what happened. And so the dog and me would get in trouble every day together. Uh, spanked both of us. She got sent outside. I got sent to my room. I didn't think that was fair. I mean, that's like sending me to the toilet and her to the outside, right? Um, and, and we'd get in trouble, but one day she didn't, she didn't do that. She didn't use the bathroom in the house. And then another day, she didn't use the bathroom in the house. And it was like two weeks. And she wasn't using the bathroom in the house. And my mom was so happy. She was like giving her treats. The dog was so, just like so happy. (laughs) And then one day, in that process, they flipped over a rug. And she had managed to scoop. And it was like a rug in the corner. And she had found a spot and was going to the bathroom and she was getting all the love. She was getting treats and everything. And she was, she was being trained to hide your poop. That's what you do. We were, under, we were accidentally training this dog to be the worst. And so it was like, wait, why are you guys mad? I did exactly what you asked. And then so she got, I have never, okay, I, I, it wasn't animal abuse, but it was the most I've ever seen that dog slapped around in my life. Uh, it was honestly hilarious. 
from my perspective because I had been getting in trouble all three weeks. And my mom may or may not have said, if the dog can do it, why can't you? And so when this all came together, I was like, well, if that's what you want me to do, in y'all face, in, right? But, but, so, but it actually did give me the idea. And so I started hiding my underwear. Because, right? Genius. And then everyone started telling me how proud they were of me. And gave me treats. Um, <laughs> isn't it weird how we train humans and dogs the same way? Um, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so I was super excited. I was get, getting treats. Mom was like, you're doing so good. My stepdad was like, good job. And I was out playing, using the bathroom in my pants and just hiding it. Like it was just this process. And life was good. Life was good for a season. Until one day I got caught. Because it inevitably happens. Because thinking of the future, that's for the birds. I wasn't thinking about the future. I was in the here and now. And how do I get away with this here and now? Right under the dresser. That's right. Anyway, so one day my dad tips over the dresser. And, or my stepdad trips over the dresser. And there is just Mount Everest. Of terrible underwear. It's like, why is he telling this story? I don't even know. I just have to think of something to like correlate. And this is the one I thought of. Um, <laughs> It's because I read about the circumcision. I was like, crap, I thought of a story. <laughs> and it was awesome. But, right, and so my dad was like, my stepdad, he was like, go downstairs, and he would always say, assume the position. That was his thing. He goes, oh, and he'd keep me there for like 30 minutes sometimes, just waiting to get beat. It was awesome. Just that is how you train your children. I, I came out great-ish. I only have a little bit of a twitch. And... um but, but so, so he's like, go downstairs and assume the position. And I had been spanked, spanked a thousand times. And when I'm sitting there, I finally had the perfect idea. I know how I'm going to make this hurt less. And so I went to my closet and I put on every pair of pants that I own. I put on my sweats. I put on all the underwear that I hadn't already gone to the restroom in. I put on, I put, I put on jeans. I put on, I just, I, everything. If it was, if it was there, it was on. I think I even put like a jacket like also, and I tried to wrap in them and stuff. And, and my stepdad came in and looked at me and said, take this off. And every time I took one off, he spanked me again. And so what happened was, instead of making it better, I actually just made it a whole lot worse. And actually what happened was, is that for each piece of protection I had put over, I had added an extra level to my pain. And so it was actually, it's really funny. I, I really, really began to think on this story because that's how I think. I think like in these kind of stories to help me understand God. And I sort of realized that's kind of what we do with our hearts. Right? And so because we don't want to be vulnerable, we start to build up walls. And we start to build up walls, and we start to build up walls. And then when God finally comes and starts tearing them down, the bigger the walls, the more painful it is. And so it's kind of like the more we guard ourselves, the more pain we have to go through with God. And it's something that Eric Willis was addressing. It's something that third song, which for the record, when Aaron comes up, I want the whole band up. We're going to do that song again. Uh, this song and this concept of we're the, pot, we're, the, we're the clay in the hands of the potter. And the Bible says that he mars it as he wills. That God is actually remaking us into something beautiful. But the more that we put to protect ourselves, the more he has to break through to get to the real us. And so what I think is we have this set up so strong that many of us, I think, don't even realize that we have it up. And I want to give a few examples of things to think on. During worship, when Eric Willis was saying, give a shout to God, some of you in the room shouted, but other people in the room got mad and said, I hate when people do this. That's a wall. Someone was telling you to worship God and it upset you. That's an actual legitimate wall. Right? And think on those moments when someone comes to you and says, hey, man, what you said really hurt that person's feelings. And you, well, well they, they, the wall, it comes up. We don't realize how unwilling we are to be vulnerable. Because the answer to worship when someone says, you guys aren't giving God your all, give him your all. The answer is, you're right, I'm not. Jesus! And just to give it your all. But we get mad and we shrink back and say, how dare you? And we have these walls. And these walls are what stop us from getting closer to God. And then we leave and say, well, that church didn't understand me. That church was trying to hold me down. And what is that? That's one more wall. And now the next pastor doesn't have to deal with all the walls that we did. They also have to deal with that new wall. And I think so many of us, we don't even realize how big the walls are. Any time where we get mad when the answer was, yeah, I was probably wrong, that's a wall. 
It's feedback. It tells you, hey, man, you're not healed there yet. And God calls us to be vulnerable. And he was calling Israel to be vulnerable. I want to explain just how vulnerable God was expecting them to be. In the book of Genesis, there's a story. You know Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Well, Abraham had a son, right? It's funny. He only had one, but we sing the song. Um, he only had one, and that son had a son. And that son had, like, all the sons, right? He had 12 sons and a daughter. Well, at one point in the Bible, his daughter, someone forces himself sexually on, on his daughter. I thought he was laughing. I was like, that was the weirdest time to laugh. Um, <laughs> forced himself on his daughter. And, and, and Joseph... Is it Jacob? Joseph. Joseph, right? Jacob. Jacob. You're right. It's Jacob. And Jacob doesn't do anything about it. Jacob kind of shies away from the truth of it. And so Jacob has two sons, and they get upset. And this guy, the guy who did that to their sister shows up and says, because of this, she's mine. I want to marry her. And Jacob was scared. And we've been talking about generational things. He was scared because his dad was a coward. And his dad was a coward because Abraham was a coward. And you can study their stories. Fear is one of their main characteristics. And so Jacob is too afraid to defend his daughter. And he says, yes. So two of the sons get upset. And they later sneak around. And they go to the leader of this village and, they, and his son. And they say, hey, if you want to marry her, you have to be a part of our covenant with us. And so you have to circumcise yourself. And so he says, and the village she lives in must be circumcised as well. And so this guy, because he was a heavy lifter in the village, he said, hey, I'm going to marry this girl. Everyone needs to circumcise themselves. And he went and circumcised all the men in the village. And the Bible says that they began to rest and heal, just like the Joshua generation. And what happens is these two sons walk in and kill every man in that village. Because... I don't know if you know this. I think even guys here in this room, that's a kind of pain that we don't normally experience. They couldn't stand up because of the pressure that goes on the top of your legs, and that's where it's at. They couldn't move. They could just lay there and die. And here's the thing. Joshua and this generation grew up hearing the stories of the book of Genesis. Moses wrote it. They read it. They knew it. So they're in enemy territory, knowing that two men killed an entire village because they were circumcised, God takes them. The Bible says the other cities were aware they were there. And he says, now, hurt, now circumcise yourselves. And they were laying there vulnerable. If two men could kill a village, what could multiple cities do to a group of people? Especially to a group that couldn't defend themselves. They were totally and irrevocably at the mercy of God. And they just had to trust that in this season, he's going to have to take care of me. Because no one can defend themselves. And this is what God's teaching them. Can you trust me? And can you be vulnerable with me? You're in enemy territory. If I was leading an army and had to circumcise them, I would circumcise, split the sea, and go through. God showed them a great thing, and he said, now trust me that I'll do it again. And I think that kind of trust... What we see in the story is this trust is happening in three parts. Three parts. And I want to hit those three parts just very briefly. And I mean briefly. I'm trying to keep to the time. Um, the part number one, that they had to be vulnerable with their community. They had to trust that their neighbor <laughs> wouldn't hurt them because they weren't circumcising themselves. They were circumcising each other. Think about the trust <laughs> because no one in this room or out of this room would I trust with a knife near any part of me, really, not to mention the main part, uh, not to mention, like, the, I mean, I live and die for the guy, um, I'm just kidding, that was a bad joke, um, <laughs> should have done, I should not have said, should not have said that, the Hagrid quote, um, I should not, but, but the, the amount of trust they had to show each other, and I actually want to show you in the Bible, the Bible teaches us to trust each other just that same level, and so God isn't calling us to be vulnerable just with him. He's also calling us to be vulnerable right with the people to your left and to your right. Do you trust these people with your darkest secrets? 
I want to read a verse to you. Um, we're going to go to uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. It's a verse I've read a few times around here. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Uh, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Leave that up, please. Confess your sins. I've been in a lot of small group settings. I've been in a lot of church settings. And what I find that people do in church settings all the time is that when it's like, hey, it's time, who needs prayer? People raise their hand like, oh, mine's an unspoken. Have you heard that? If you've been in church setting long enough, you've heard that. Which quotes translation to, I don't want to talk about it. But I need prayer for it. No. That's not being vulnerable. I mean, should we have to, some of us have to go through that process to get to vulnerability? Absolutely. Or, or here's what the person says, right? Oh, I'm having some lust issues. Can you pray for me? Instead of telling the actual truth, I've watched porn every day for the past month, and I am drowning here. I need help. I have lust issues. Pray for me. We're not being vulnerable. Hey, I'm having some lust issues in my personal life. Translation, I've been cheating on my wife, my husband, my significant other, and, and I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know how to get help. I'm stuck. I'm drowning. Pray for my lust issues a little bit. We're not confessing, and we're drowning behind our facades. But God would call us to be vulnerable and to be honest and say, you know what? If I can be honest, last week I almost stabbed someone. And I'm not saying that I, oh, he's being dramatic. I almost stabbed someone. That's not me, by the way. I'm just using examples because I've heard this before, right? And it's like so many of us hide behind the walls and the layers and the Christianese, what I'm supposed to say. How you doing today? Blessed and highly favored. I hit my wife last night. Blessed and highly favored. We have to be able to talk. And some of our issues aren't that big. I'm using really dramatic ones. But honestly, I think it's the mundane ones that are the hardest to talk about. I yelled at my boss at work, and I did not, I was not honoring. Hey, pray for me. I'm having honor issues. No, get into it. Be real. Because that's the only kind of way you're going to get free. And that's what the Bible says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Healing genuinely comes in many senses through freedom, and freedom comes by talking. And God set up his church specifically for us to talk to each other about our issues. This verse tells us you don't confess to God and God alone your sins. I have a verse. You confess your sins to one another. Amen? So the first thing they had to do was learn to trust their community. They had to trust the entire Joshua generation, had to trust each other with the most sensitive and intimate parts. Ton of fun. Horribly not. And it actually puts things into perspective. I'd rather tell someone that I drank last night than, um, than trust them to uh, circumcise me. It's only getting easier, guys. It's only getting easier. Perspective's a heck of a thing. Uh, and the next thing I think that God really teaches them in this setting is that God teaches them to be vulnerable with their enemies. Amen. I want to I wanna read a verse. Actually, it's three verses. I want to read three verses to you right now that I feel like are some of the most ignored verses in all of Scripture. Let's talk about it. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 29. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. See, I've been in church long enough to know that when someone curses you, i got to cast it back on them in the name of Jesus. When someone cusses you out, you don't cuss out back. You don't pray for them to fall apart. You pray for them. You love them. Yo, when he says turn the other cheek... That's not some kind of, what could he mean? What is the metaphor really saying? He's saying if someone hits you, give them the other cheek to hit as well and let them know they have no power over you, but that you love them. And God is making them, Israel, be vulnerable before all of the people that could kill them. Lay open, ashamed, cut, and hurt in front of all the people that want to bring them down. And he calls me to do the same thing. 
To the one who strikes your cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give me your jacket. Here's my jacket, and I have a button up too. Um, love him or hate him. I'm going to use a story from like one of the most controversial preachers in all the world. His name is Joel Osteen. Um, Joel Osteen, I, I have been in church settings enough that I actually have met him. I know him. I've talked to him. I've met his family pastor. I've interacted with his family pastor. Uh, I've actually recorded his family pastor and, and these things. And he would tell us a story about a man who came into the building, and they hired this big performer to come into their church and do all four of their services. And it was three at night and one morning service, I guess they had him do. And he demanded, extra, no, he, he said he wasn't going to show up for the night services. And so Joel Osteen said, okay. So the guy didn't show up for any of the night services. And he came in in the day late, did one worship song and left. So Joel Osteen has a lot of money, and he pays a lot of money for people to come into his church. <laughs> he didn't pay the guy for one song. He paid the guy for the whole thing. And so when they went to the back, this guy was telling the story that when the family pastors and all the pastors got in the back together and say, so are we not going to pay this guy? Joel Osteen wrote a check for double and said how he treats me has no response to how I'm going to treat him. And like that kind of story, love him or hate him, that's the gospel. And that's how God would have us be. Here's another story. Rabbi Zacharias tells a story of a man a friend of his who was walking through a party and a drunk guy came up and punched him in the face. And then he got back up and everyone had separated him. And then he looked to the guy and said, hey, I want you to know Jesus loves you. Crazy, right? Because that is not my first response, right? I mean, we, I have some crazy stories because I'm not really the, uh, the fighting type, but because I'm not, I've always gotten around fighting types because I need the protection. And so, I mean, I've been, I, I've seen so many crazy things about people. It's like if someone even looks in my direction, I'm going to hit them. I'm going to punch them. I'm going to fight them. I had a friend named Nemo. That wasn't his real name. That's what we called him. I don't know his real name. Uh, a man came by and honked his horn and said, hey, losers. And Nemo got real mad and chased the car down and punched the guy in the face and broke his phone in his own hand. Because he called him a loser. And I was like, man, Nemo's awesome. But I've grown up more, and now I don't think he's as awesome. But man, at the time, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's the best. Um, but, but so this guy hits his, this dude in the face, and he gets up and says, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And, and that story, 20 years later, which is ridiculous, 20 years later, a mutual friend that they had called him up and said, the guy who hits you wants to talk to you. 20 years later. Rabbi Zacharias tells a story, and I forget what sermon, but it's always kind of stuck with me. And so he goes and meets the man, and the man has cancer and is on his deathbed. And the man says, I want you to know, because I didn't want to die before telling you, that the day after you, I hit you in the face, I gave my life to Christ because of what you said to me. And so because he turned the other cheek, for 20 years he walked around not knowing that he had changed a life forever. But he didn't do it for the life changing. He did it for the Messiah that saved him. And so when Jesus says turn the other cheek, he actually means it. And here's why that's hard, because we're taught to fight. And know this, I do not believe, I do believe the Bible teaches to defend others. I just don't believe it teaches to defend yourself. So don't hear me on, what if they hit my wife in the face? So stab them, that's fine. Um, I'm talking about if someone's mistreating you, if someone's trying to bring you down, if someone's trying to badmouth you, if someone's trying to hurt you, it just turn the other, that's the, the Bible. But our self-preservation is sometimes the most important things in our lives. And we build our entire persona around self-preservation. I act the way I act to be around the people I'm around so I can do the things I want to do so I can be around these people and feel this way. And who we are, because we don't want to be vulnerable and we don't want to break down those walls, we're predicated upon where I'm at and how I'm interacting with people. And that's why so many people can come into a church on Sunday and be blessed and highly favored and then be getting high with all their stoner friends who don't come to church throughout the week because i got to put on the mask of who I'm with that day. And I'll have people that I have personal, deep conversations with tell me some honest truths about who they are. And then later, someone else come and tell me about that person and talk about them as if they're totally different. And I'm realizing, well, they're probably both of those people. But I think in that moment of vulnerability, that was the real them. And they're just having a hard time really staying as that person. But God called us to be vulnerable with our enemies. And last but not least, and honestly the most important, and y'all probably should knew that I was going to do this. Honestly, first and foremost, he calls us to be vulnerable with him. Which, 
weirdly is sometimes the hard part also because I don't want to pray because God, you've heard it. Look, how do you know you can't be vulnerable with God? If you sin and can't go into your prayer place that day or that hour because, man, I'm just so bad, you're not being vulnerable with God. Do you know that when you fall short, you can go into his presence that moment and he'll meet you there in that moment? God, forgive me. I did it again. I have prayed that prayer for years and some struggles in my life. But as I talked to my community about it, as I talked to my God about it, it began to wilt off me slowly as I was walking out my salvation. You don't walk it alone. You walk it with people to your left and to your right and with God guiding your path. And some of those enemies along the way were placed there for them to meet God because they're on your path. And you'll be surprised how quickly vulnerability turns enemies to allies. Honestly, and sometimes it won't. Some people will just want to destroy you. Turn the other cheek. They can't. That section I read was three verses in a dissertation Jesus gives about being vulnerable. I just picked a little piece. Read that whole section. It's so convicting because every line, I was like, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. (laughs) And I realized I feel so justified in telling someone what's up. And I think many of us feel the same way, but we don't express it that way. Well, I just told them the truth, Pastor. But how did you tell them the truth? Was it loving? Was it real? Did they have to hear it from you? Were you the person? Or was it your place to be quiet and be vulnerable? It's a tough line to walk, but this is what Israel is learning. If you take this promised land, it'll be because I let you live when you, had, when you were too vulnerable to stand up. If you walk in your call and you live this vulnerable life, everywhere you're at, you're at, you'll know I didn't fight here. God placed me here. And when God places me somewhere, I feel more confident that I'll be there. Listen to me. The reason why we get insecure in our calling is because we still think we're fighting for our calling. And actually, many of us are fighting for our calling. And that's why we're insecure there. Because we had to kick and scream our way to our platform. Sit back. If there's anything I've learned in this process of becoming a lead pastor, I didn't ask for a single thing that happened. There were conversations, there were moments where it was, how do you feel, what do you think? And I was honest, but I wasn't actively attacking. I realized, God, you're teaching me to shut up and listen. And then now I'm in a place where I'm supposed to talk. (laughs) And kind of in closing, I wanted to point out that if you don't know what those things look like, look like. I don't know how to be vulnerable with people. I don't know how to be vulnerable with God. I don't know how to be vulnerable with my enemies and the people that are against me. I think we have a place where we can look in scripture and we can watch Jesus be so vulnerable. And if you look, you can emulate it and walk in your life. And here's how I know Jesus meant literally what he said. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at our Messiah. The Bible says weeping and sweating blood. When Jesus went up before God and cried it out, he always went alone. But towards the end of his life, he started bringing people. And he let them see him weep. And he let them see him bleed. And though they fell short, and though they failed him, He still said, pray with me that you may endure this coming time. And that Jesus broke down and was honest with the people he was leading. They watched him bleed and they watched him cry. He was vulnerable with them. What does he say before God? It, It is probably the most emotionally true thing Jesus said his entire ministry. I'm not saying he wasn't emotionally true. I'm saying it was so charged. He says, God, if this can pass, please let it. The God of the heavens and the earth who came here to die for you in one moment said, God, is there any other way? He was vulnerable with God. He was honest about how he felt. 
that vulnerability didn't stop him from doing what he needed to do. But notice, the Bible will tell you that after that, when he got up, it says the angels came and ministered to him. That once Jesus was vulnerable, then he was ministered to. Once he said what was really going on, then God sent ministering angels to take care of him. Once he was so brutally real, in earshot of his disciples, if any of them would have been listening, they would have heard Jesus say, I don't want to do this. They would have seen the vulnerability. And yet he spoke his truth, but then got up and did his calling. And as he walks down, he was vulnerable with his enemies because that is the only time in scripture we see someone kiss the face of Jesus. Judas walks up to Jesus and kisses his cheek. Jesus let the person coming to kill him close enough to kiss him. Jesus let him at his table. Jesus ate with him. Jesus called him. Jesus stood with him and ministered with him. He stood by his enemies and let them misuse him. The Bible says that they're going to hit him. The Bible says they're going to whip him. He doesn't fight back. See, again, the Bible describes him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a warrior. He's a fighter. But in this moment, it says he's a lamb led to slaughter. Why? Because he was vulnerable with his enemies. And if you're having a hard time receiving the vulnerable message, just start reading the Gospels. And watch Jesus be vulnerable. And watch him be honest. And watch him grow tired and weary. You know, I have never, I, I bought the Passion Translation, which isn't a very Greekly true translation, to be totally honest. Um, but it, it just tries to um, intensify the emotions. And it pointed out that at the cross, and it pointed out that at the, um, the time he was being tempted by Satan, it uses the words cruel. And I never thought of it before like that. I have just heard this story for so long, the emotional weight was lost. And then, then I'm reading it and it says, and then they cruelly misused him. And it brought the emotion of that text in the way that it actually truly was supposed to be felt. The cruelty imposed upon our Savior for us because he was being vulnerable to his enemies. Um, at, oh, we're going to do the third song, by the way. I don't know if you guys, I don't know if I said that or not. Uh, if, if you're on the intercessory team, if you could line up along that wall where we usually have the photo booth, I think that's a good spot. Nice and out of the blast of the speakers. <laughs> um, we're going to worship and we're going to sing a song about being vulnerable about all these pieces broken and scattered. That's us. In mercy gathered, our broken pieces gathered in the hands of our Messiah, mended. And when the Bible says that the God keeps his treasure in earthen vessels, what he's saying is inside of these feeble and breakable things is something beautiful and worthwhile. And God fills us with his Holy Spirit. And we are the earthen vessels. And what God means and what that verse means, because it's straight out of the Bible, it's literally Paul explaining to us that though we're breakable, though we're easily moved, though we're easily hurt, he puts something beautiful inside of us. And he still saw us as worth, worthy of holding his treasure. It's okay to be vulnerable. And so I'm going to pray out. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. Uh, God, that vulnerability wouldn't be something we see as demeaning or bad or uncomfortable, God. But we would start to embrace the truth of who you are, Lord. God, we thank you for the opportunities that you've given us, the opportunity to come here and worship you and to be open and honest, Lord. And in Jesus' name I say, amen. Uh, if you need prayer, head to the prayer team. If not, you can head out. I love you guys. Have a blessed week. Uh, but please don't just hear these words and go back behind your walls. There's nothing but misery back there.